One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about Hulk Hogan's sex tape and his lawsuit against Gawker Media. And I'll be talking about Dr. Robert Newlander, the popular OBGYN who was suspected in the suspicious death of his wife. Brandy. Yes. Did you know that we don't have anyone sponsoring us right now? I did know that. (laughs) (laughs) Comes as no surprise. It's an outrage, really, because both our moms are listening. That's right. Um, A number of other family members as well. Yes, I mean, I have several parents. This is true. (laughs) So we should have a sponsor any day now. But in the meantime, let's make this sponsored by my husband, the gaming historian, who every week sets us up with our audio equipment. Kristen. Yes? I am looking for a high-quality Blu-ray... Of one of my favorite YouTube channels. Really? What is it? Uh, the Gaming Historian? Oh, he's so good looking. Do you know where I could find a Blu-ray? <laughs> I like how you just glossed over it. <laughs> I felt uncomfortable commenting oh, on, my on your husband's looks. looks. I just had to zoom past time. that one. <laughs> You're in luck. Sitting right behind me is a whole big stack of Gaming Historian Volume 1 Blu-rays. Available online at GamingHistorian.com. I will head right there, right now. Beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, beep. <laughs> GamingHistorian.com. Okay, so this week I'm talking about Dr. Robert Newlander. I actually first heard of this case from a 48 Hours episode. Yes. It was like a Sunday afternoon. It, it was like Investigation Discovery was doing a marathon, and I was just like cleaning my house, and this episode came on, and I had to like stop and watch it because it was really interesting to me. It's a really good case and I'm undecided on it. And there's so few cases where I hear all the stuff and can't decide about the ending. Uh-huh. So let's let me take you on a journey. This is okay, this is so weird and I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. Because I feel like you and I are both very decisive people. Yes. We are judgmental people like we yeah, know absolutely. how we feel but I don't know how I feel about my case this week <laughs> That's either. Hilarious. It is so weird That's that I'm hilarious. Okay, talk about yours. So, Dr. Robert Newlander, hero or villain, Mm -hmm. you decide. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. At 8.25 a.m. on September 17th, 2012, a call came in to the Syracuse, New York, 911 ditch... (laughs) (laughs) That stroke is really affecting me. not affecting me one bit. (laughs) I'm going to just start. Yeah, just start over. At 8.25 a.m. on September 17th, 2012, a call came into the Syracuse, New York, 911 dispatch center. On the line was 23-year-old Jenna Newlander, who said she needed emergency medical crews for her mother. When asked what was wrong with her mother, she said she was not sure and that her dad had told her there'd been an accident in the bathroom and asked her to call 911. Jenna placed the call on hold and ran across the sprawling home to reach her mother's bathroom. As she reconnected with the dispatcher, she had become completely distraught. She was screaming and crying out for her mother, and she could be heard begging her father not to move her mother. The call is heartbreaking to listen to. Mm -hmm. On this episode, they play a big portion of the call, which I personally love 911 calls. It's very morbid. I just like to hear that side of it, but it is. They're horrible to hear. But there's like a 
horrible core in me. That, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's because you're a horrible That's person. That's correct. We that for you. <laughs> Minutes later, emergency crews arrive at the upscale home of Dr. Robert and Leslie Newlander. Paramedics descend on the master bedroom where they found a horribly bloody scene. Mm -hmm. Leslie Newlander was declared dead shortly after their arrival. The Newlanders were described as pillars of their community in upstate New York. Dr. Robert Newlander was a well-known and highly respected OBGYN who had delivered upwards of 10,000 babies in his lengthy career. Yeah. Whoa. He was regarded for his bedside manner and his genuine support of his patients. Leslie, his wife of 28 years, with whom he had two children, was known for her positive outlook, caring nature, and her various philanthropic adventures philanthropic ventures adventures Adventures, ventures i mean i'm sure there were some adventures in there i like the idea of her like swinging from a tree like tarzan just throwing money (laughs) what a kooky adventure within hours of leslie's death dr newlander walked investigators through the events of that morning bob newlander recounted that he left the house early that morning for a run at a nearby park when he'd returned home he made leslie her morning coffee and took it to her bedroom leslie was in the shower so he left her coffee on the bedside table approximately an hour later when he still hadn't seen leslie he returned to her bedroom to check on her Upon entering the bedroom, he noted that the shower was still running. He entered the bathroom and found Leslie on the floor of the shower, unresponsive and bleeding profusely. Oh, my God. Yeah. He immediately attempted to call 911, but the bathroom phone was not working, so he yelled for his daughter, Jenna, to make the call. Newlander claimed that due to the steam and dark tile in the shower, he wasn't able to see to properly administer CPR, so he picked his wife up and carried her nearly 60 feet and laid her down outside the bathroom where he started to perform life-saving measures. How big was this house? It's huge. They're very well-to-do family. It's a Uh huge home. Um, The shower, to kind of give you a picture here, was a walk-in shower. with a and it was completely tile walls floor everything and it's this really dark slate tile okay um and then it's got this bit like built-in bench in Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. okay so it is believable it would be totally steamed up absolutely and the um they also mentioned that it was a steam shower so it had a regular shower head and then it also had a steam function which they believe was also running the time that she was in that shower so it's completely believable to me that it was full of steam in there okay He later picked her up again and, for unknown reasons, moved her further from the bathroom, laying her on the floor next to the bed where he continued to administer CPR. Hmm. Jenna, the only other eyewitness, corroborated her father's account, and the medical examiner determined that the scene and Leslie's injuries also matched his version of events. So Leslie's death was ruled an accident due to a disastrous fall in the shower where she hit her head on the stone bench. Case closed, right? Not so much. Not exactly. That's not enough for a 48 hours episode. (laughs) Within a couple of months of Leslie's death, the Newlander's neighbor and close friend began to hear whispers and rumors. There was talk of financial problems and marital issues within the home. So Dr. Newlander himself will admit that him and his wife were not sleeping in the same bedroom, that they were contemplating a trial separation and that they, but that they still very much loved each other, but maybe were not on the same page as within their marriage anymore. So they were sleeping in separate bedrooms. Well, and you know, there's a huge difference between marriages (laughs) and being, I want to kill you. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So friends and acquaintances speculated that Leslie's death may not have been the result of a tragic accident, but something more sinister and intentional. The neighbor who was on the receiving end of these rumors and tips wasn't just any neighbor. She happened to be Dr. Mary Jambelic, who served as the chief medical examiner in Syracuse for 11 years. Whoa. Yes. So to ease her mind about these rumors, she decided to call her former colleague, District Attorney Bill Fitzpatrick. As it turned out, he had also been hearing these rumblings and had even received an anonymous letter stating that Leslie's death was not an accident. At the time of her death, she had been preparing to leave her husband. Fitzpatrick asked Mary to look over the case files and she agreed to do so pro bono. Okay. So we've got this 11-year veteran uh, medical examiner Mm -hmm. who's very close friends and next-door neighbors have this tragic death. And then she starts hearing these rumors. Oh, I'm loving this. Yes. So she starts looking through these files and she's immediately alarmed by the amount of blood. There's blood everywhere in this crime scene. There's blood smeared all over the bathroom, on the walls, on the floor. There's blood pooled on the floor outside the bathroom. And then there's blood pooled next to the bed. She's also alarmed by the injury to Leslie's head. Mary says it's so severe that the blood pooled in Leslie's eye. She says the injury was more consistent with a car accident or an impact with a heavy object than a fall in the shower. Okay. Mary then relayed her findings to Fitzpatrick and said that she believed Leslie died of a blunt force trauma from an assault and determined the manner of death to be homicide, not accidental. Shit. Yes. So based upon Mary's opinion on the case files, the DA asks authorities to revisit the crime scene and gather more evidence six months after Leslie's death. In that time, the house has been sold. But this is what's weird. All the original furnishings are still in the house. Dr. Newlander has moved into kind of like a loft apartment thing kind of in the city and the house is has now been sold i don't know that new people were living there at this time that is unclear to me but the original furnishings were still in the house when they went back six months later okay to reinvestigate this crime scene kind of weirded out by someone buying that house right yes which i mean obviously obviously it happens yeah. yeah you know in some states you don't have to disclose that a death happened in the house lots of states actually you don't have to disclose that there was a death in the house well and see i think you know natural causes i yeah. think sure a house of a Absolutely. certain age you're gonna assume yes um but a really a horrible, really death? horrible bloody death yeah I feel okay like you should... well it gets worse okay, okay. <laughs> so investigators uncover blood spatter on the blinds behind the bed on the lamp next to the bed and on the slanted wall, there's like, it's like the bed was placed back in a recess and then there's like a slanted ceiling okay. kind of next to okay. it. And so there's blood spatter all over that slanted ceiling too. Why would there be spatter? So, okay, these are my problems with this. Mm-hmm. There are some pictures of this slanted ceiling from the original investigation. So I think they knew about that blood spatter. But they missed the blood spatter on the blinds and the lamp. These fucking people who bought this house bought it with blood spatter oh, all over everything. God, I didn't even think about that. Yikes. If I'm walking through a house and thinking about purchasing it, if I see blood on the blinds, you bet your ass I'm not buying that fucking house. Or at least you want a discount. <laughs> oh, gross. 
So the original medical examiner that ruled the death an accident Mm -hmm. considers this new evidence and changes the cause of death from accidental to homicide. Wow. So nearly 15 months after Leslie Newlander's death, murder charges were filed against Dr. Robert Newlander. Due to his notoriety in the community and the rumors that had been circulating for months, the case was so high profile that the district attorney, Bill Fitzpatrick, took the case himself. He decided he was going to argue the case himself. Newlander retained well-known local lawyer, Edward Mencken, who said of his client, I have never had a client whose innocence I believed in more firmly than his. Which I bet he tells that to all of his clients. I was going to say, I feel pretty (laughs) shitty if I were one of his other clients. As the trial got underway in March of 2015, both sides would actually use the same evidence, the blood spatter, the 911 call, and Leslie's injuries oh, this is to tough. attempt to prove two very different scenarios. Oh, that's tough. Yes. Yeah, okay. So they're arguing two very different scenarios with the exact same pieces of evidence. Okay. The prosecution's case was simple. They argued that a pre-dawn assault took place in Newlander's bedroom and that the shower scene was staged to explain the blood in various places around the bedroom. They also argued that Robert involved his daughter Jenna, the only other person in the home, so that he'd have a witness on his side. Additionally, they argued that the blood spatter evidence in the room, so the spatter on the headboard, spatter on the items on the nightstand, the spatter on the blinds behind the bed, Mm -hmm. and the spatter on the wall, the slanted wall that we talked about, which was approximately seven feet from the bed. Oh. All support the theory of this pre-dawn assault. They believe that because it was dark when the assault took place, Uh Dr. Newlander didn't see this blood spatter. Sure. And so he didn't know that he needed to come up with a scenario that would explain that away. Okay. And, okay, when you say involved the daughter... Involved her how? By just, by getting her into the crime scene. So she was on the other side of the house. He called her, asked her to make the 911 call, and then brought her into the scene. So not something as sinister as like, she's... Correct. Okay. No. Yeah. The prosecution's case relied heavily on the testimony of their blood spatter expert, who testified that the blood on the wall was the most powerful evidence of their assault theory. As in her expert opinion, it was impact spatter. Mm -hmm. So impact spatter is caused when a blunt force is applied to liquid blood. Their expert even recreated a crime scene and attempted to reenact this assault by placing a rock covered in plastic and wearing a wig on a bed, covering it with blood, and then impacting it with a blunt object. Oh, geez. Yes. She said that the reenactment verified that the blood spatter evidence was caused by an impact event. She was able to recreate the same spatter that she found on the scene through this impact event. The defense critiqued this reenactment, saying it amounted to nothing more than whacking a mannequin over the head. (laughs) (laughs) And I I get that, but... How else do you recreate this? Absolutely, things? yeah. Then the prosecution called Newlander's housekeeper, who testified that the sheets found on the bed at the crime scene, which are free of blood, mm-hmm. are not the same sheets she put on the bed the previous morning. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the prosecution argues that they believe that Dr. Newlander discarded of the bloody sheets and whatever weapon he used on his early morning run at the park though the park was searched and no sheets or weapon were ever found. Okay. This is my question but here, though. But when did they search it, though? If they thought it was an accident... Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here, this is... 
I have a different problem with this okay. with this witness. Okay. Okay. Not with the witness, but with this theory. There's a shit ton of blood at this crime scene. Mm-hmm. If the assault happened in the bed, like the prosecution is arguing, taking the sheets off is not enough to get rid of it. There'd be blood soaked through to the mattress. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So it's not like he's bashed his, you know, wife's head on the bed. She's bleeding profusely, uh-huh. enough to cause spatter seven feet away, uh-huh. and it only soaks into the top layer, the sheet, the sheet that's on the bed. He pulls that off, you know. I don't know if you've ever had, uh, like, as a little kid, wet the bed. You pull the sheets off. The mattress is wet. Only as a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> so no I further can... <laughs> questions, please. <laughs> Last week when you wet the yeah. bed, Kristen. <laughs> Listen, I had a dream I was in a pool. I don't know what to tell you. So I'm just saying I'm I call you. fucking bullshit on this okay. because you okay. can't pull the sheets off and then expect there to be no blood evidence on the mattress. Okay. Okay. The defense then called their own blood spatter expert who testified that it was not possible to determine whether Leslie's death had been an accident or a homicide because the investigation had been flawed. Oh, boy. He testified that there was not enough close-up pictures of the blood and that some of the evidence had not been collected until months after the incident, which we know that because they didn't go back for six months. Emergency crews had walked all over the scene and the defense argued that the paramedics could be responsible for some of the blood spatter. They argued that first responders had blood on their gloves and in peeling their gloves off could send cast off blood. Okay. The defense also argued that the blood that some of the blood spatter could have been cast off from Dr. Newlander himself. The doctor said that he had been wearing a long sleeve shirt that became so soaked in blood as he tried to save his wife's life that he took it off. So that he, when he took it off, he oh, like yeah, threw gotcha. it to the side uh-huh. and but in the motion of taking it off and throwing it, cast off blood was sent. Ugh. The prosecution is like, no, absolutely not. Those theories are ridiculous. Paramedics are trained in how to remove gloves to avoid cast off. Mm. And there's so much blood spatter here that no gloves or but bloody shirt removal could account for it all. I love how every time you're like, here's what the prosecution <clears throat> said. I'm like, mm, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, that's also, that's also a good point. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, but then here's my thing with this. Okay. This was declared an accident very early on. Okay. Like, very shortly after emergency crews arrived on the scene, this was declared a horrible accident. In an accident situation versus a crime situation, there are very different protocols, I feel like, people take. And so maybe a crime scene wasn't preserved and protocol, glove removal protocol wasn't (laughs) followed to a T. Okay, I'm kind of with you. Yes. I I kind of get, yeah, if you're walking into it with the crime scene mindset, you're going to dot your I's, cross your T's. But at the same time, I feel like if you've been trained a certain way, you're going to kind of stick with that training. You're not going to be flinging gloves everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. I do get that. I also want to just say for the record that if my dad were in this situation and his sweatshirt became totally disgusting, he'd just wash it and wear it for 12 more years. You're absolutely right. He for sure would. Blood stain and all. What? Still good. Still good. I can run in this. I love, sorry, this is getting so incredibly off topic, but I loved when you were over the other day and you looked at him and you were like... How long have you owned that shirt you're wearing? And he's like, oh, a few 
two years, you're like, no, 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 I remember that from my childhood. I feel like it's my position in life to call your dad out on these topics. Someone has to. Someone has to. Okay, anyway, um, this is not about my dad's sweatshirt. Absolutely. Back to the New Landers. So, the defense argued that there was a reasonable explanation for Leslie falling in the shower. Both her personal trainer and her sister testified that she had vertigo and that it had recently gotten much worse. Okay. (laughs) The defense next called medical examiner Dr. Daniel Spitz, son of world-renowned medical examiner Dr. Werner Spitz, our good friend Dr. Werner. Do you know him? No. Oh my gosh, he's testified on some of the biggest... The biggest court cases. He testified on Casey Anthony. He testified in the oh. West Memphis Three. He oh, is huge. Man. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, he comes. To, so his son, Dr. Daniel Spitz, comes and testifies on traumatic head injuries. Mm-hmm. He testified that Leslie's injuries are consistent with striking her head on the stone bench inside the shower. The prosecution countered that evidence showed that Leslie suffered two blows to her skull and that the injuries are not consistent with hitting the straight edge of a bench and that Leslie's other injuries do not add up to the defense's account. So she had an abrasion on her cheek, mm-hmm. bruising on her nose. Mm-hmm. Do you like that I'm pointing out these body areas for you in I'm case you aren't so familiar glad, with them? Sometimes I'm like... <laughs> Cheek, cheek, nose, and then she had bruising and scraping on her neck. Okay. Okay. I also have a problem with this. (laughs) What's your problem? So her husband is lifting her up and carrying her around the room, laying her down, picking her up, laying her down again, administering CPR, which is administered with a lot of force. Well, you have to do a lot of force. So couldn't those injuries have been caused through all of that? I don't know cheek and nose stuff. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just picturing like he, you know, he's um, he's. Uh, I have the uh, the advantage of knowing what he looks like. He's okay. not a large man. Okay. And he's picking up his, you know, 130 pound wife and uh-huh. carrying her out of the bathroom and setting her down. I'm guessing it's some, not. I'm yeah. guessing it's not the gentlest of set downs you're, you're on right. the floor. You know, assuming assuming he's totally innocent, he's panicked. Yes. He's running with her. He's you know. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. On to the next. Oh, this case. <laughs> Crucial to the case is not only how Leslie died, but when. Dr. Spitz testified that Leslie died around 8.30 a.m., but the prosecution maintains that the death could have occurred as early as 4.15, okay, now which the fits hell? their theory of a pre-dawn assault. I, that's, how do you know? Like, I know it's... I. I know it's not an exact science. You can't know exactly when somebody mm-hmm. died. But how can they be four hours apart? That's what I'm wondering. Because yes. it seems like that's the one thing they usually agree on. Yes. Yeah. And they're four hours off. Mm. One medical examiner to another expert. Mm-hmm. Next, now 25-year-old Jenna Newlander takes a stand to defend her father. Mm. As the only other eyewitness, she is very important to the outcome of the case. On the stand, Jenna recounted what happened in the Newlander home hours before her mother's death. She recalled that she was in her mother's bedroom until 2 a.m. and clearly remembered the sheets and that they are the same ones that are pictured in the crime scene photos. Okay. This directly contradicted the housekeeper's testimony that the sheets had been changed. So, 
I don't know. There's questions there now. And I kind of want to know about the sheets. Like, were they a funky pattern? <laughs> they that you were, were a funky oh, pattern. Okay. okay. They have, like, leaves. It's, like, different colored leaves in a row on them. Huh. So it, they're distinct sheets. These are not just, you know, solid gray sheets gotcha. that you could have 50 sets of. I yeah. mean, I think that... 50 shades of gray sheets. <laughs> Sorry. As soon as you said 50, I was like, oh, no, I have to make a really dumb joke. Well, I'm glad it was you this time. I'm tired of having to be oh, the one I, to do it. Oh, there's time. There's time. Don't worry. So then there's perhaps the most critically important piece of evidence, the 911 call. Mm-hmm. So Jenna put the call on hold in her mother's office, which is at one end of the house. Okay. And then she... Um, puts she puts it on hold there, and then she runs to the other end of the house, to the bathroom where her mother was. Mm-hmm. As she took the phone off hold, she cried, "Oh my God! There's blood everywhere." Both sides argue that this is crucial evidence that support their version of events. So the prosecution argued that Jenna yelled this in response to the blood that had been left by the assault as her mother should not yet have been moved. So there would be no blood outside the bathroom at this point. Oh my God. Okay. Proving the prosecution's theory that her father moved the body to account for the blood left during the assault. Uh The defense, however, argued that the call did just the opposite and confirmed the doctor's innocence. The defense said Jenna initially ran to the bathroom phone in the water closet, but found it wasn't working just as her father had said. So she ran out of the water closet Mm -hmm. around the corner into her mother's dressing area to get the cordless phone. It was as she was coming out of the dressing area that Jenna saw her mother for the first time as her father was moving her mother out of the bathroom to perform CPR. Mm -hmm. He placed her on the floor outside the bathroom just as Jenna reconnected with the dispatcher and cried, oh my god there's blood everywhere jenna was asked on the stand if she saw blood on the way to the water closet and she said no which supports the notion that the first time she saw blood she was looking at her mother and it goes completely against the prosecution's version that the scene outside the bathroom was staged to explain the blood because so the way this works she would have had to run into the bedroom Uh uh-huh Turn to go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. get the phone there, and then she would have had to come back out to this and go back like one door to this dressing area. I'm guessing it's like a walk-in closet yeah, area yeah. and get the phone. I just want to say congratulations mm-hmm. on being so classy with your use of water closet. <laughs> <laughs> the crapper room. <laughs> the shit So the DA... Does not believe that Jenna could have done everything she claimed to do in the 13 seconds the 911 call was on hold. So put the call on hold, run across the house, go into the water closet, pick up the phone, find it's not working, go into the dressing area, get the cordless phone, and come back out to see her mother being moved into the bedroom. Agreed. 13 seconds. Yep. Okay. And if it's this huge house... So... Uh Fitzpatrick (laughs) attempted to do it himself, Uh and it took him 50 seconds. Okay, yeah. But she is a 23-year-old girl reacting to a crisis and running on adrenaline. How can you compare the two? He's just a guy trying to do a reenactment. Yeah, um... But 50 seconds, assuming he was doing it in good faith and going as fast as he possibly yeah. could. But if, how old is he? He's 60-something. Oh, okay, fuck that. He <laughs> <laughs> they should have gotten a 
23 year old yeah, in there who should do have. that they reenactment. Really, they really should have gotten someone like, okay, let's look at her health. Let's look at. So, this is immediately what I think of. Have you seen the movie Sully with Tom Hanks where he's the pilot? Sullenberger oh, yeah, yeah, Sullen. yeah. A long time okay. ago. Okay. So, there's. Um, there's this scene in that where they're going beh- before like the a panel of people who are saying that he could he could have made it back to LaGuardia he didn't have to land the uh-huh. plane in the Hudson and then they cost the company tons of money because they lost an entire plane I'm just I'm right just now realizing that I was thinking of the movie where he's on the ship and he's taken over by pirates <laughs> it's Captain Phillips <laughs> LaGuardia. (laughs) So sorry. Continue. Okay. So this panel says that they've run all of these simulations and flight simulators and that different sets of pilots were able in the simulations to get the planes back to LaGuardia and Teterboro, which were both options at the time. Um, And they were both able to do that safely in the amount of time that Sully landed the plane on the Hudson. What? I'm so sorry. You're still thinking about Captain Phillips? I'm just wondering, like, did they factor in pirates? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but in the movie, right, Uh these people, these, these people doing the flight simulators hit the birds like Sully did, and then immediately they are given, okay, this time you're going to attempt to get back to LaGuardia. This time you're going to attempt to make it to um, Teterboro. So they immediately start the bailout to do that. When in actuality, when it happened, they had to go through a whole checklist of things. They had to figure out that they'd been hit by fucking birds. Yeah. Yeah, And so when they re-ran the simulations with like a 13 second delay for human processing time. Uh Uh-huh. They all crashed. Every single one of them crashed into the city. Oh. So this is what I'm saying. Okay. Very different scenario, but he knew exactly what he was doing. Like, I'm, you know, I'm going to try and do this reenactment uh-huh. under normal circumstances. I'm not reacting to the crisis that my my mother has had some kind of horrible accident in the bathroom. I'm not running on adrenaline. Uh-huh. I just don't think you can compare the two. I think you can kind of try. Yeah. And the way you kind of try is you don't compare a 60-year-old man to a 24-year-old woman. I think that is so... Absolutely. That is so dumb. That is so not a good comparison. But, you know, just to see, is it humanly possible? Right. Yeah. Like, I think you can try to determine if it's humanly possible. Yeah, they should have got, like, the Kenyan that won the marathon to go to. <laughs> sure. Hey, that would be great, because if he can't do it, then you know. No, no. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there was one other part of Jenna's testimony that might have proved crucial. Jenna told the jury that as her father was tending to her mother in the bedroom, she saw him take off. Oh, shit. I'm oh, so sorry. That's... I mean, ma'am, can you get your shit under control? <laughs> so, so, what is going on? My dad's car. <laughs> he wants to talk about sweatshirts. He heard we were talking shit about his sweatshirt. He's like, listen, girls, that's from 2002. It's fine. It's fine. It's practically new. Do you remember where you were? Yes. You can jump I'll back just a little jump bit. Back okay. Okay. So Jenna told the jury that as her father was tending to her mother in the bedroom, she saw him take off a blood-soaked shirt and throw it to the side. Mm. 
As mentioned earlier, the defense argued that the removal and tossing of this shirt may have led to some of the blood spatter in the bedroom. But this shirt has never been found. Oh, no. Yes. So, the potential weapon hasn't been found. The Mm -hmm. potential sheets haven't been found in this This mystery shirt has never been found. Mm. Mm. (laughs) That's my Downton. The DA has said that even if Jenna was injected with truth serum and asked if her father had killed her mother, she would say no. He believes that Jenna has created an alternate reality in her head to protect herself from the loss of both parents. I mean, there's maybe something to that. I would totally get that. Yeah. I can totally understand how someone would do that. Absolutely. And wouldn't blame them for it at all. No. Yeah. Or, but if she's telling the truth, then... Oh, can you imagine how mad she'd be at that DA? No, like, shut up, yes. dude. I know what absolutely, I know. Absolutely, absolutely. But how can you be sure? Uh, yeah. In her head, you she believes it's the truth, but what's the actual truth? Yeah. Mm. No one knows. Somebody knows. <laughs> <laughs> the question now, though, is not what Jenna believes, but what the jury believes. Fitzpatrick was worried about the emotional impact Jenna's testimony may have had on the jury. After eight grueling days of testimony, he addressed them one more time in closing argument. He asked them to focus on the evidence rather than emotions, specifically referring to the blood spatter on the walls and the injuries to Leslie's body. He told them, Leslie will speak to you, ladies and gentlemen. You have to listen to her. He also asked them to listen to Jenna's words on the 911 call, saying it proves Newlander's guilt beyond a shadow of a doubt. In Mankin's summation, he argued that there was no evidence of a homicide and that there was no motive. He referred to Dr. Newlander as innocent throughout his entire closing argument. The jury deliberated for three days before alerting the judge they had reached a verdict. Dr. Robert Newlander returned to the courtroom once again arm in arm with his children and Leslie's family, who had flanked his side throughout the entire proceedings. Wow. Two and a half years after Leslie Newlander's death, the jury found Robert Newlander guilty of her murder. Oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. A heartbroken Jenna Newlander broke the silence of a stunned courtroom and cried out, I was there! You didn't do it! Oh, man. I really was not expecting that at all. Yes. Outside the courtroom, a visibly shaken Ed Mankin addressed the press calling Dr. Newlander the most honorable person he'd ever met and called the case a travesty that was not yet finished. Oh, man. This is where I was like, ugh, I don't know. (laughs) So Newlander's children immediately hired... How many children did he have? He had four. He had two with Leslie and then two from a previous marriage. Gotcha. Okay. Um, So they immediately hired Gerald Shargell an attorney who was well-known for defending mob boss John Gotti to handle their father's appeal. Okay. He wasted no time and filed a motion to get the conviction thrown out on the basis of juror misconduct. Ooh. At the center of this appeal was juror Jonna Lorraine. According to an alternate juror, Lorraine had received texts and other communications about the case during the trial against the judge's instruction not to discuss the case. Yes, a search of the juror's phone, get this, showed that she had received some potentially prejudicial texts, including one from her father that read, make sure he's guilty. And another from a friend that said, I can't believe Jenna isn't a suspect. What? Yes. 
Lorraine's phone was seized and it was discovered that she had deleted thousands of potentially prejudicial texts prior to giving her phone over to authorities. Weeks later, though, the judge upheld the conviction, saying that in the early stages of deliberation, Lorraine had been undecided and the judge ruled that she'd ultimately taken her role seriously. Mm. How seriously can she be taking it if she's getting texts like that? Yeah, I don't like that at all. I don't either. I mean, she sounds like, you know, I would be so thrilled to be on a jury. I would like, too. That sounds like something I'd be tempted to do. Like, right. can I talk about this with everyone? Yes. And the answer is no. No, shut up. Okay, but what if you listen to the text her dad said a different way? Okay, okay, so he texts her, make sure he's guilty. But what if he said, like, make sure he's guilty if you're going to... If you're going to okay. convict him, okay. if you're going to convict him, make sure he's guilty. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that is, yeah. God. <laughs> even then, though. You and know, still, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's not like she's the only one in there. And no. I'm, I'm sorry, but she sounds kind of dumb. Actually, the reason that, the fact that you say that she's kind of dumb is actually the reason that I have some issues with the way jury trials work in yeah. general. Mm-hmm. Because I think that there are people on there who maybe aren't, do not have the critical thinking necessary to be able to decide the fate of a defendant. I'm, yeah, I'm really glad you said this because Norman got summoned for jury duty. Uh-huh. Like, uh, I can't remember when. And he was just bummed out like, oh God, I hate this. Yeah. And I was so jealous because I've always wanted to be Absolutely. on a jury. But it makes me... The whole thing made me nervous because it seems like almost everyone I know, when they get summoned for jury duty, all they want to do is get out of it. Yeah. And these are intelligent people. And it seems like the people who have stuff going on in their lives or who have obligations get out of jury duty. So who does that lead? Well, exactly. And then I was just listening to this story. It was a case where the jury came back with their verdict and then the judge pulled the jury. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the jurors responded that no, it was not their verdict. And the judge nearly had to declare a mistrial because the juror misunderstood the question. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yes. Like, once the judge phrased it a different way, uh-huh. the juror was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's my, yes, I came to that same conclusion. Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I I mean... Well, and that's why they say jury trials are so wildly unpredictable. Yes! Because you, you don't know who you've got... Absolutely. ...in that box. You don't know what they're thinking, what they're bringing to it. You just... Yeah, you just don't know. No. The Jody Arias trial, no. that jury, when they came back, um, hung on the decision if she should get the death penalty or not. Mm-hmm. They said the jury instructions were not clear. They did not know that if they didn't decide that a mistrial would be called. Oh. So they said having, if they would have known that, that Mm -hmm. they probably could have come to some kind of decision. And see, that makes me wish that I could see, like, what instructions and juror instructions look like. Yeah, because, like, if if they are... But they probably aren't written in legal speak, and so... In which case, they need to cut that shit out. Absolutely. And just put it in, like, you know, make it sixth grade Layman's turns, absolutely, yes. Yeah. But if it already is in layman's terms, Well, then, maybe. Then, <laughs> then yikes. Yes. Yikes. Maybe these folks don't need to be deciding whether someone lives or dies. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Almost four months after the verdict, sentencing finally began. So they've got mm-hmm. this, they did this appeal, 
It was denied, so now we're sentencing. Facing a maximum sentence of 25 years to life, the family begged the judge for the minimum sentence of 15 years. Leslie's sister addressed the court, saying, Had any of us even slightly suspected foul play of any sort, we would not be here today on Bob's behalf. Yeah, I... I can see that. Absolutely. Finally, Dr. Robert Newlander addressed the court and said, an innocent man has been convicted, for I would not and did not take a life. I love my wife, Leslie Newlander, and I mourn her every day. Mm. Uh, there's, I just have so many questions. Like, I, that's what I feel like. How, the, I don't know. how a jury arrived at a conviction when there's so many questions and you can see both sides. I mean, yeah. it's very difficult. Yeah, I don't see how you get to beyond a reasonable Yes, that's exactly it. I think there's plenty of room for reasonable I agree. Ultimately, the judge sentenced Newlander to 20 years to life, stating, In the jury's eyes, you intentionally murdered your wife and then attempted to use your own daughter to cover it up. A daughter who most clearly adores you, which is as diabolical as it gets. Unless he didn't. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. As Dr. Newlander was escorted out of the courtroom, Jenna called out to him, Love you, Dad, and then broke down in tears. Oh, God. In October of 2017, Newlander's lawyers argued before a panel of appellate judges for the conviction to be thrown out or to be granted a new trial. The appellate court has not yet ruled. So what do you think? I have no idea. Right? I think it's funny. I think if they had come back not guilty, I'd be like, yeah. ooh, I don't know. I think he was guilty. But, yeah, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. That is really, it's, really tough. And it's like you said, when they're using the same pieces of evidence yes. to come up with totally different but plausible, plausible scenarios, theories, yes. then I don't see how you get to reasonable doubt. I don't yeah, either. Oh, man. That's tough. It was a tough one. And I feel so sorry for Jenna. I do, too. Either way, I feel terrible. Either way for Jenna, it's terrible. Man. Man, right? That's a good one. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, man, that's so good. Hey, how about we talk about a sex tape? Let's do it! (laughs) Sex tape, First Amendment, right to privacy. Love it. Here we go. Yes. So I, I saw somewhere, and I wish I could remember where, but someone made a point that I think is really good. Which is like, this is such a kind of cheesy, tawdry lawsuit that people sometimes think, oh, it's not important because it's about fucking Hulk Hogan sex yes. <laughs> And one of the key people in this case is named Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> <laughs> That's his legal name. Oh my gosh. So like, people think... Because it all sounds so silly that this isn't a big deal. This is a huge deal. Yeah. Especially for First Amendment, for privacy, you know, all this stuff. Okay. Here we go. I'm ready. Lay it on me. Okay. So let's start with just the people. Hulk Hogan, whose real name is Terry Bollea, which is not as exciting as Hulk Hogan. Not nearly as exciting as Hulk Hogan. So Hulk Hogan was a huge deal in the 80s and early 90s. Some people say he's the greatest professional wrestler of all time. I know jack shit about (laughs) professional wrestling, so I'll just say he's probably the most famous. The fact that I've heard of him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit about I bet Dwayne The Rock Johnson would have something to say about that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Was he a professional wrestler? Absolutely. Before he became yeah. the man of my dreams? Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? <laughs> now that you mention it. 
Does it smell like a vanilla candle yes. and like crappy iced coffee? That's correct. Yeah, okay, I can smell it. <laughs> so a little bit about his personal life. In 1983, he married his wife, Linda. You know, they had that reality show. Oh, yeah. Together. Did oh, you watch watched it? That. Yes. Okay. Heck yeah, I watched it. Okay. <laughs> so I did too. <laughs> there, were, there was a time where there was no other shows on TV but reality shows. That's right, yeah. Yes. That was like Nick and Jessica Newlywed, yes. Hulk Hogan, the Osbournes. Like Absolutely. Everybody had a reality yes. show. So their marriage kind of got a little rocky around 2006 around 2007 Linda filed for divorce it was final in 2009 okay so we're in that 2007 area Hulk Hogan is down in the dumps he's really upset that his marriage is basically shit and so he goes over to his best friend Bubba the Love Sponge (laughs) Bubba the Love Sponge has this wife named Heather Clem and Heather, she didn't take on the Love Sponge last name. <laughs> um, I think his name was Bubba the Love Sponge Clem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for keeping me honest. <laughs> Bubba and Heather have this open marriage. And Heather starts begging Hulk Hogan, have sex with me, please have sex with me, come on. And Bubba is all for it. They have his blessing. I know. So Hulk Hogan, looking back on it, he said, I was depressed. I gave up and gave in. I felt that those people loved me. So the two of them have sex. All right. Here's something a little controversial. Hulk Hogan claims he had no idea that he was being videotaped at the time. Mm -hmm. The videotape came from this surveillance camera that was set up in their master bedroom. Mm. Like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So it's not just pointed one of those... directly at the bed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I run surveillance on my bed. <laughs> Tons of interesting yes. stuff going on. So it wasn't just like this surveillance camera that's always running. You have to put in a disc and press a button. So someone had to have gotten the thing set up to tape. But again, Hulk Hogan claims he had no idea it was running little while later, this L.A. lawyer is shopping around the Hulk Hogan sex tape. Hulk Hogan gets wind of this, he's very upset, and he gets the FBI involved. So they start this big investigation. Wait, I have a question. Sure. Did you watch the sex tape? I wish. No, I think I don't think you can even find it online anymore. Um, I'm dying to know if he took his bandana off. You know he didn't. During he wore it to court. <laughs> Because he's bald. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like those guys who wear really terrible wigs or yeah. like they do the comb over. And it's like, it is so much better to be <laughs> yes. honest with yourself. Absolutely. You know, just accept what yes. has happened and move forward. Like, <laughs> be the right. best bald you can yes. be. Yes. So, FBI is getting involved. 2012 comes along. And the website Gawker, which is like this gossip news mm-hmm. site gets a hold of this 30-minute sex tape through an anonymous tip. A.J. Delario, who's the editor-in-chief of Gawker at the Mm -hmm. time, makes this, like, highlight reel of the sex tape that's, like, a minute and 40 seconds Mm -hmm. long. He puts it up on the website, and he posts this long article about our fascination with celebrity sex tapes. Mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan's mad. He has his lawyers ask Gawker to take the tape down. Gawker's like, no, thank you. (laughs) We will not. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Gawker. Did you ever go to Gawker? Yeah. Back when it existed? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you yeah. think? 
I mean, I, you get all your celebrity gossip there. Yeah. I mean, I kind of relate it to, like, the online version of, like, Star Magazine. It's like, uh-huh. you know, Star Magazine is like the like the false people. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's ma- it looks just like a people magazine, but, but nothing not. you read in it is true. Uh-huh. Yes, I, that's going to kind of, like... It's just, it's all gossip. Nothing, I feel like, is substantiated on uh-huh. it. See, I feel like <laughs> sometimes it is. Yeah. You know, but you yeah. never know You never know. Yeah, absolutely. Fake. The site was started by Nick Denton, mm-hmm. and I think he used to work for the Financial Times in London, I so he used to be more of a legitimate journalist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his idea for the site was to publish the stories that journalists tell each other, mm. which... I love that idea. I know, that concept is great. Yeah, because, and it's been forever since I was a reporter, but you do hear things that people will not tell you on the record. Yeah. You find out stuff that you can't get verified to the level you need it to be verified to put it into a respectable publication. Yeah. And so you end up knowing stuff yeah. that you can't ever print. And it's yeah. so frustrating. So it's this that, is kind yeah. of a cool idea. Yeah. So he started it in 2002. By 2015, they were getting 23 million hits a month oh on the website. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. By that time, they were making $48.7 million in revenue. Wow. They were doing real well. Yes. People <laughs> love gossip. People, yes. You heard it here first. That's right. Gawker grew to include sister sites like Jezebel, Deadspin, Gizmodo, Kotaku. Mm-hmm other sites that I can't remember. Mm-hmm. They were a controversial site, obviously, yeah. and they were used to being sued. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the stories they did, because like I was saying earlier, some of them were good and kind of pushed things forward in a way that might not have come forward. They claimed they were really influential in getting the Bill Cosby allegations out into mm-hmm. the open, which women had been coming forward, yeah. but people tended to just be like, Eh, yeah. Not believe it. And so they claim, you know, when we started writing about it, people I thought it was attention. Hannibal Burris who See, did I that. did too. And that's why, that's why I'm not giving them full credit. And I wonder, I wonder, were they the ones who posted the excerpt right. of his stand-up? Maybe. Because, yeah, that's yeah. my memory. Right. That's why I'm kind of like, they claim. <laughs> so, so there's that. And they also kind of take credit for exposing the mayor of Toronto for smoking oh, the, the crack. Yeah, the crack guy. Yeah. 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 Yes. I think those are kind of, those are yeah. important stories. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just spit everywhere. Well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Great! <laughs> oh, okay. See, I didn't even notice. No, okay, go. <laughs> it's so, so moist in here with so. that humidifier. Look how, look at these eyes. They've not, they, they have great. not watered yet. The one thing I'm not liking, though, is that humidifier is making this weird <laughs> noise every now and then, and I'm like, are people going to think we're starving? Oh, I thought you were farting. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> we only record this for like an hour and a half. I put a cork in it. <laughs> because I'm a lady. I'm a lady, that's right. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So, things that Gawker did that were not so great. Okay. Just I'm just going to name two yeah. of these, just so you get kind of a full sense of what they yes. were like. In 2006, they launched this thing called the Gawker Stalker Map. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to read from their own site what this was. Today we're launching the next step in inane celebrity drooling. Gawker Stalker Maps, in which we try to visually pinpoint the location of every stockworthy celebrity as soon as they're spotted. Oh, that's not cool. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's gross. That's horrible. And, you know, obviously it was criticized because, like, 
you're putting people's safety at Absolutely risk. Absolutely, you're you making are. stocking seem like this cute, okay thing. No, when it's not. Not. It's not. Yeah, it's gross. There's this really entertaining YouTube clip that I watched where Jimmy Kimmel, I guess, was filling in for Larry King one night, mm-hmm. and he had a Gawker editor come on and try to defend this Gawker stalker thing, and she was just kind of giggly mm-hmm. and like, oh, whatever, no one's been hurt yet, and we've been doing this for years. And it just, you walk away from that like, what the hell are these people doing? I'll tell you, I bet Jimmy Kimmel was probably very serious about that yeah because i went on a star tour in la and let me tell you that the house that we got the closest to was jimmy kimmel's and i bet that he hates that oh why were you able to get so close it was like he didn't live in a gated neighborhood so you could we literally were right outside of his house and could see his dog in the backyard and we were one we're one of how many tours that ran that day yeah i bet he hated that i would hate that yes i would absolutely i hate it when a car drives slow by my (laughs) house and nobody's trying to stop me (laughs) i'm like that little old lady like peeking through her blinds (laughs) what do you want this time Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm totally with you. I don't so want a fucking tour bus pulled up outside my house. To the left, you'll see Jimmy Kimmel's dog. I'd be pissed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he let her have it. I mean, yes. he really did. He kind of told her she was going to hell. Good. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't seem concerned. Oh. <laughs> um, the other one, so in 2008, they published a story... And the headline was, I had a one-night stand with Christine O'Donnell. She was the Republican nominee for Senate. And I remember reading that story when it came out. Mm-hmm. So I was clearly part of the problem. <laughs> and it was just, it was like one of those things you, you read and you go, why was this published? Yeah. First of all, there was no one-night stand. He just slept in the same bed as her. Not that that matters, <laughs> but it was just kind of like, yeah. why, you know? That's so weird. I don't remember her. She was she was a bit of a nut. Uh-huh. But it was an interesting story because even though she was a bit of a nut, she was super conservative. Mm-hmm. Liberals didn't like her at all. Mm-hmm. But that story united liberals and conservatives because everyone was like, dude, what are this you... This is not okay. Yeah, why yeah. would you do that to a yeah. candidate? So that's Gawker. That's kind of their reputation. Mm-hmm. Back to the whole Kogan sex tape. Yes. Because it's been a while. (laughs) So, before the major trial, Hulk Hogan sued Gawker for copyright infringement in federal court. And he sought a temporary injunction just to get the thing taken down. Right. But the judge denied Hulk Hogan's right to a preliminary injunction. The judge thought Gawker's publication was protected by the First Amendment. Mm. And I assume, you know, thought this falls into the realm of newsworthiness. Right. Which... It's been a while since journalism school. But there there are different rules for celebrities and politicians. It's kind of like if you voluntarily thrust yourself into, into the, the limelight, limelight then, yeah. then the press can write a little more about you. You know, you don't have the same privacy Correct. rights as, right. you know. I think maybe mm-hmm. posting their naked genitalia <laughs> online, you know... Crosses the line. In a live action form, <laughs> might be crossing that line. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people agree with you. <laughs> so that that federal case went nowhere. Yeah. You know, the judge was like, "No, 
protected by the First Amendment. The judge also seemed to kind of think it was weird that Hulk Hogan was, you know, claiming to be embarrassed and anxious to hide this tape while at the same time trying to actively protect the financial worth of the video. Mm -hmm. So the federal case went nowhere. Hulk Hogan was already suing the Clems, Heather Clem and Buffa mm -hmm. the Love Sponge, in Florida state court. So he just adds mm -hmm. Gawker to that, that Florida case. Yeah. Which was a brilliant move mm -hmm. to move it to Florida. Yeah. And he also... Because I don't know if you know this, Florida courts, fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact. Yes. No one can disagree no. with that. Yeah. Florida courts are a little nuts. And as you'll see, the culture clash between yeah. the New York Gawker media and I this bet. Florida jury. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was real. So he adds Gawker to the case, but he also adds Nick Denton, mm -hmm. the founder of Gawker, mm -hmm. and A.J. Delario, the editor-in-chief of Gawker, and a few other people. Mm -hmm. Almost immediately, he settles with the Clems out of court for $5,000. Nothing. Nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. And Why would he settle? Well, so so there are some theories on that. Uh-huh. In in this really good documentary, Nobody Speak, which is on Netflix right now, and uh -huh. it's about this trial, they say that basically he settled out of court with them for $5,000, and with that came the agreement that Bubba the Love Sponge would plead the fifth. He wouldn't testify mm. because Bubba had been saying, no, Hulk Hogan knew. knew. Yeah. It was they, part of the deal. Mm -hmm. He was in on it. Yeah. I mean, he was on Howard Stern mm. saying, yeah, everybody knew what was what was happening. I gotcha. Yeah. So he settles out of court with the Clems and asks this state judge, Judge Pamela Campbell, to grant his temporary injunction. You know, get Gawker to take that thing down. Yeah. And she grants it. Gawker appealed that decision because they were like, no, 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 no. We, we won this in federal court. This is mm -hmm. newsworthy. We're protected. We're going to appeal this. And the appellate court sided with Gawker. Mm. They said it was newsworthy, protected by the First Amendment. So then they, they took that decision back down to Judge Pamela Campbell, asked her to dismiss the suit entirely. They said, look what the appellate you know, court yeah. said. Can you dismiss this? And she's like, no, we're going to trial. Good. By the way, Judge Pamela Campbell represented Terry Shivo's parents. Really? Yeah, like she was a lawyer before she became a judge. Wow, Isn't that, kind of that is. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of crazy Florida Flo court cases. Crazy Florida cases, yes. Mm -hmm. Around this time, and this is coming from that documentary, Nobody Speak, the Gawker people are kind of like, okay, this has been a lot of court stuff. You know, we've had the appeal, we had the federal mm -hmm. stuff, now we're in state court. How is Hulk Hogan affording all of this yeah because it's expensive for us and he's just one guy who whose it's, career is over behind yeah. him they start to think you know this is really weird mm -hmm. at the time they kind of start floating this conspiracy theory like is there someone bigger behind hulk hogan who's funding this but then they're kind of like no that's too tinfoil hat that can't really right. be true so they just kind of block that out of their heads then and this is when things get interesting Hulk Hogan decides to drop a charge in the lawsuit. And the charge he dropped was infliction of emotional distress. And they were like, okay, what what the fuck? Why would you well, yeah. drop any charge? Because, you know, you want to keep as many charges Absolutely. as you can to get more money in the end, assuming you win. Yeah. So why would someone take a charge out? Come to I find feel out. like that might be one of the easier charges to argue, I too. I would think so. I would think so. Okay. Listen to this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Infliction of emotional distress, 
fell within the parameters of Gawker's insurance coverage. You take that part out, Gawker is no longer covered by insurance oh, for this lawsuit. Oh my gosh. And so then it becomes like, holy shit, somebody is just after Gawker. Gawker. This is personal for somebody. It's not just about this sex tape. It's oh about my trying gosh. to kill Gawker. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And genius. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some smart people behind this. Yeah. <laughs> so, 2016, the case goes to court. Hulk Hogan is seeking $100 million in damages. And in Florida, they had this, this six-person jury. Mm-hmm. Four women, two men. Mmm. Give me your reaction to that. Mmm. I don't know. I feel like... I feel like it'd be easier to get men on Hulk Hogan's side than women, maybe. I feel just the opposite. Really? Okay, here's my theory. I feel like any time there's a case that in some way could be about sexual exploitation. I'm not saying that's necessarily what this is about. Yeah, to a degree it it is, though. If if it's about that, I think more women are going to be more sympathetic. To this idea that, oh, your sex tape got leaked, these images of that you could got be. leaked. I yeah, feel I like could see women that. are more sympathetic that. to that. Now, why do you feel like men would be um, more sympathetic? Because I feel like a woman might think that you were... Uh, how do I phrase this? Um, you were involving yourself in somebody else's marriage, whether you had permission or not. Um, so maybe you get what was coming to you. Ooh. Okay, I can see that, too. Yeah. That maybe a woman would be like, look, You were stepping out where you shouldn't have been. Yeah. Maybe this is what you get. Yeah. Okay, I can see that, too. But I think you're totally wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the culture clash between Mm -hmm. Gawker and the jury. And Politico had a really good article on this. Just to start, Hulk Hogan moved to Florida as an infant. So Mm -hmm. he's kind of this hometown hero, local celebrity People seem to really like him. Is he like Hogan's hero? God. <laughs> <laughs> and you were worried you were going to get your job. He's this hometown hero. <laughs> so people in Florida really knew him well. I assume they liked him. They were proud. By contrast, most of the jurors had never heard of Gawker uh-huh. before this trial started. Yeah. They'd, a few of them had heard of some of the sister sites, but they were totally unfamiliar with mm-hmm. Gawker. So this trial takes place in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is on the Gulf Coast. It's kind of a tiny place, I assume. I have no idea. <laughs> no, expert. Remember? Could be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a town of four people. <laughs> A lovely family. The Smiths. Okay. <laughs> really hard to find jurors. So, you know, in comes the Gawker folks. And one of the strategies of Hulk Hogan's team was to kind of paint them as crass and uncaring. They have no morals. They don't care what they did to this guy, how they embarrassed him, how they, mm-hmm. you know hurt him. And I think it was probably fairly easy to make that case based on, <laughs> based on some of the stuff we're about to talk about here. AJ Delario, who was the editor of Gawker, and he's the one who actually posted mm-hmm. the sex tape. They had deposed him a while before, mm-hmm. where they just like sit you in the room, they ask you a ton of questions. 
toward the end of that deposition, they had a bad exchange. Mm -hmm. So they played that tape for the jury. And here's how it went. Attorney, can you imagine a situation where a celebrity sex tape would not be newsworthy? Delario, if they were a child. Attorney, under what age? Delario, four. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. Your reaction is the same as the jury's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Now, in his defense... Okay. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being totally serious. I'm being totally serious. I watched the tape of that, and it's clear that he is being flip. Oh, yeah. But still, who the hell... No. Who the hell says that? Yeah, no. And even if you're being flipped, I mean, that's like people who make jokes about bombs at an airport. Like, yeah. no, shut up. Yeah. You know, just, just can no. that. Yeah. And um, in the documentary, he talks about how it was just kind of, he was kind of backed into a corner, but I, I think, what a stupid thing to say. Yeah. What an awful thing to say. And yeah, they, they played that clip and that made the news and that was... I just have to wonder, when he said that in the deposition, did he know immediately, whoa, Whoa, I shouldn't have said that? Or was he just like, (laughs) just making my little jokes? Nobody will hear this. (laughs) This won't be all over every newspaper in America. They also pointed out how Gawker staffers talk to each other in chats and emails about this, just to prove, like, mm-hmm. they don't take this stuff seriously. They're really crass. They showed an, an email from Emma Carmichael, who was the managing editor at the time, and her email said, Hello, editorial policy is do not talk about Hulk Hogan's sex tape while our legal department processes his giant dot 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 lawsuit. <laughs> Emma's side there. Yeah, I am too. And then they also pointed out AJ Delario's like, I think this was just like a message to a co-worker. And I wish I had more context about this, but I don't. It's about the sex tape. And he says, Hogan's penis is also wearing a little do-rag. But <laughs> <laughs> he's picturing Hulk Hogan's junk with a do-rag and long ball. <laughs> across to the jury because like that stuff I'm kind of like okay okay I think that stuff stuff doesn't bother me at all no now the four-year-old thing absolutely yeah that's gross and weird yeah this seemed to work on the jury and this this is when I I don't even know how to lead up to this one because it's so weird Mm -hmm. but apparently Florida jurors can anonymously submit questions oh yeah to you know yeah to uh the judge witnesses yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> you know that guy in the robe up there. <laughs> the bathrobe. He stands behind the desk. No, so they can anonymously submit written questions to witnesses, mm-hmm. but, you know, first the judge looks through them. Yes. Presumably they take out any really dumb or off-topic mm-hmm. ones, and they will read that to the witness. The witness yeah. then has to answer. So in the course of this trial, the judge, Pamela Campbell, had dismissed some mm-hmm. in the past, presumably for being off-topic or uh, irrelevant. For whatever reason, she allowed this question to come out. This was when Emma Carmichael, managing editor, was on the stand. Emma had just given this lengthy testimony. It was, I watched some of it. It seemed pretty normal, just kind of about, here's what it was like to work there. They questioned her about revenge porn and, you know, mm-hmm. what she thought. And kind of just yeah. totally normal stuff. At the end of her testimony... She is asked by this judge from a juror whether she'd ever had an intimate relationship with A.J. Delario or Nick Denton. What does that have to do with anything? Exactly. What? How did the judge allow that question? I have no idea. Wow. She just wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm curious about this one, too. This is a spicy question. So... That was like, you know, that took the internet by storm because people were like, what the hell? Like, where is this jury's head at? And I was thinking about that. Like, that would be like if I was reading to you about this trial and you're like, wow, hey, when was the last time you ate an avocado? (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'd be like, what are you talking about? This is not what we're talking about at all. I feel like I should just throw this out there. Nick Denton is openly gay, so like it, it's. Well, did she? What she say to the question? She said no. Oh. She was so cool on the stand. I mean, she gets this ridiculous question, and apparently there were gasps, and you know, people were like, kind of like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. But she and I think at that time she was now the editor in chief of Jezebel, which is a feminist news site. Yeah. So here she's this feminist, and the most important question they've got for her is, "Did you sleep with your bosses?" Oh my god! So the judge asks her the question, and she says, "No." Wow. And they move on. Wow. Yeah. You know, that question obviously weirdly implies that she slept her way to the top, which still has nothing to do with the case. And I I hesitate to even say this, but, like, even if she did, which she didn't, what would that have to do with anything? Nothing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything. Shut up, Florida jury. Yeah. But anyway, on to the case. The defense, so Gawker's side... Their goal was to establish that, look, Hulk Hogan talked about his sex and sexuality openly in the media all the time. He even talked openly about the sex tape. Mm -hmm. Um, They also said, look, he shouldn't have even been surprised that the sex tape was released when he'd been talking about it all along. You know, he talked about it on Howard Stern. And the defense said to him, you talk about the size of your penis on air. Your reality show showed you on the toilet with your pants down. How can you pretend to care about your privacy? There's a difference, though, when you sign up for it. I totally agree. And when it's something that's done without your knowledge. I totally agree. And I don't think they really got into that here. They took a different tactic. But, like, to me, even if I walk outside naked, 
That's your choice yes. that you did that. Yes. And it's yes. not the same as if, like, you surreptitiously got a naked photo and plastered it everywhere. You know, it's just not, it's not the right. same. Chris and I will promise you I will be taking no naked pictures of you. Please do, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yes. just, and I also think there's a huge difference between talking about something and wanting the visual proof of it. Yes. Plastered Absolutely. all over the place. Absolutely. So I... I'm not really on their side about this, yeah. but I I do see the point if they're trying to make this argument for newsworthiness, like, hey, he's the one who brought it up. He's right. the one who made it news. Hulk Hogan's tactic, and this is kind of a weird, interesting one, was to be like, look, that was Hulk Hogan talking, not Terry Bollea. He tried to draw this distinction between Hulk Hogan, this... The character. Yeah, this, you know, wild yeah. character and himself. And he was like, look... Hulk Hogan doesn't have a lot of privacy left to violate, but Terry Bollea does. Okay, but if he wore the do-rag on the sex tape, he was Hulk Hogan during that time. <laughs> that is such a good point! <laughs> We've got to know, surely he kept that Surely he on. kept it on, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This led to a really weird moment in the trial. I'm wondering if you remember what this moment is. <laughs> okay, this, this is bizarre. So he's making this point that Hulk Hogan lies, he exaggerates, he's larger than life. Mm-hmm. And he even at this at some point said Hulk Hogan has a bigger penis than Terry Bollea. <laughs> <laughs> and it led to this this exchange. Here's the honest to God exchange. Hulk Hogan says, I do not have a ten inch penis. No, I do not. And the lawyer goes, Fair enough. <laughs> Dude, I didn't ask. <laughs> but you know, it, wait, does Hulk Hogan have <laughs> Apparently, Hulk Hogan does. Terry Bollea I'm does not. Interested to know how that works. Uh, Maybe yeah. he has a detachable penis, like that song. What song? There's a song called "Detachable Penis," and this guy goes. <laughs> Did to you a, make it up? No, it's a real song. This guy goes to a party and he loses his penis and he has to look all over town the next day for it, and it's. <laughs> This is a real song. I'll play it for you. <laughs> Sounds really made up. It's real. Yeah, they have that weird exchange. I gotta say, he was really good on the stand. Really? Which, which I guess I shouldn't be surprised. He's a performer. He's a, yeah. But he had his little black do-rag on and his little black sport coat. And he just seemed really genuine. Yeah. And like You just kind of... Did he have a tank top on under the sport coat? You know, it didn't look like a tank top to me. It looked like a fitted tee. Mm, okay. And I think he was wearing a cross, too. Mm. I mean, you know. I mean, pulling some religion. <laughs> That's right. He also talked about the betrayal of the sex mm-hmm. tape. Uh, he said he couldn't sleep or eat for days. He said, when the sex tape hit, my whole world turned upside down. And he talked about how he couldn't get over the betrayal of his friend. Because, you know, again, he claimed, I had no idea this was being videotaped. Come to find out, it was taped, and my friend, presumably, was the one who mm-hmm. brought it out to the public. On to Hulk Hogan's side. Hulk Hogan's lawyers said Gawker only published the sex tape to make money. It wasn't newsworthy at mm-hmm. all. And ultimately, on March 18th, 2016, at the end mm-hmm. of like a two-week trial, the jury found in favor of Hulk Hogan. And they found in favor of him big time. So they awarded him $115 million oh my in compensatory gosh. damages. Yeah. $60 million was for emotional distress, which 
now I'm kind of like, I thought he dropped the charge of emotional distress, but let's not question what I've written here. Clearly you're the expert here. Yes, yes. 55 million was for economic harm. And upon hearing the verdict, Hulk Hogan burst into tears. A few days later, the jury awarded him $25 million more in punitive damages. And they ordered Nick Denton, the founder of Gawker, to pay $10 million. They ordered A.J. Delario, the editor, to pay $100,000. Wow. Yeah. So I'm interested in your reaction. I think think that's the right... Really? I do. Oh, man. I do. They... Yeah, I just think that they crossed a line mm-hmm. that somebody's night moves are not <laughs> are not people's business and that it's not newsworthy. I think writing a story uh-huh. about the fact that it's out there and posting the yeah. actual sex tape are two very different things. I agree with you. And had they written a story about it, yeah. that would have been one thing. But posting the highlight reel, uh-huh. I think, crosses a line. I I have trouble with this because I get nervous about any time there's a potential limitation on... Some, some kind of censorship. Yeah, and yeah. I, I do get nervous at that. But at the same time, yeah. I think I'm, like, weirdly sensitive to... The sex stuff. Yeah. And, like, people's nude photos, mm-hmm. videos, and stuff like that. Because to me, and here I'm just going to make up my own law, my own yeah. realm. Yeah. To me, I think that should be a sex crime. Yeah. To publish, and I don't care if someone's a celebrity, a politician, whether they've mm-hmm. thrust themselves into the limelight at all. If you don't have permission to publish that stuff, mm-hmm. I think that should be a sex crime. Yeah. It violates a person. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely a violation I want to call Olivia Benson. Get her on the case. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Hulk Hogan. I'm glad that the judgment was in his favor. I think that he deserved it. I mean, I don't know if deserved is the right word. I feel like yeah. it's the right, the right judgment. Yeah. I think that's way too much money. Uh, it is a lot of money, but yeah. I think that's common. Yeah, in jury trials, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it is. My hope is that this verdict doesn't have a chilling effect on the... Absolutely. But if it does chill the sex tapes, then sure, sure. I'm happy yes. with that. Because, again, I, I think that's bullshit yeah. that, that people can publish stuff like that without permission. Mm-hmm. There is much more to this story. Oh, God. <laughs> so, initially, Gawker planned to fight the verdict. Yeah. I have a feeling that when they got that question... Have you slept with your bosses? And, you know, yeah. when I, was, I think they kind of knew things were going downhill for them. Yeah. They were very surprised by the amount uh-huh. that the jury asked for. Yeah. In an interview with the New York Times, Heather Dietrich, who was the president and general counsel of Gawker Media, was like, look, three state appeals court judges and a federal judge repeatedly ruled that Gawker's post was newsworthy under the First Amendment. We expect that to happen again. You know, they thought, okay, we're just going to have to kick this up a notch. Mm-hmm. We'll get... A ruling in our favor. She also said that the jury wasn't allowed to hear critical evidence. And she noted that they hadn't heard from Bubba the Love Sponge, who again, at one point in time, had said Hulk Hogan knew he was being videotaped. Mm -hmm. Critical evidence. What the hell is Gawker talking about when they say critical evidence was held from the jury? Okay. 
Do you remember when I told you about the FBI getting involved yeah. and finding additional, additional sex, sex tapes, tapes and all yeah. this stuff? Okay. While this trial was going on, Gawker sued the FBI to get access to all that additional stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that? Apparently. And the court found in Gawker's favor, so they got access to all this, you know, everything in the investigation. What they found out was there were other tapes where Hulk Hogan was saying a bunch of racist shit. I think I remember. Uh Yes. And like super racist stuff about his daughter's ex-boyfriend. He said homophobic stuff. Yes. I mean... It was bad. Yeah. Gawker's theory was kind of like, okay, he's not so much embarrassed about the sex tape. He didn't want the racist stuff to come out. To get out. out. Because the sex tape didn't really seem to affect his relationship with WWE or any of that. Mm -hmm. But once the racist stuff came out. They immediately dropped him. Yes. He completely, like... Lost any affiliation with the WWE when that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And so Gawker had wanted to bring that to the jury to be like, you're not getting the full picture here. You know, yeah. there's another motive at play. So they wanted to bring that into the jury trial. But Judge Pamela Campbell, the trial judge, said, these documents, these tapes are for lawyer eyes only. The jury cannot see these. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing happened next. <laughs> Somehow, the National Enquirer got a hold of the racist stuff. And they published the story, and that's when the WWE cut ties with Hulk Hogan. And I want to say that they took him out of the Hall of Fame. Uh, they did. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it, it had huge consequences. Yeah. So what does Hulk Hogan do? Sues Gawker again, this time for leaking the racist tapes. Mm. But Gawker says, we're not the ones who leaked them. Mm-hmm. And in a statement, Gawker said, Hulk Hogan is a litigious celebrity abusing the court system to control his public image and media coverage. It's time for Hulk Hogan to take responsibility for his own words because the only person who got Hulk Hogan fired from the WWE is Hulk Hogan. I like how they said his name like five times in that statement. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... It definitely changes my opinion. I mean, I had forgotten about all of that. Uh That stuff didn't even happen that long ago. No, no, it didn't. It's fairly recent. I had forgotten about that. Changes my opinion a little bit. See, for me, it changes my opinion on him and his motives, but but it doesn't change my opinion on whether it's okay to publish. Absolutely, I agree. And that's my conflict. Exactly. It's like I don't like any of that. Yeah. And I think it's shitty that the jury didn't get to hear the whole story potentially. Yeah. But. I mean, if they're there to decide whether it was right to publish the sex tape, Mm -hmm. then maybe that stuff is irrelevant. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, it is irrelevant if you think about it that way, right? Yeah, it kind of is. This is why this is so hard for me, because I think I'm on one side, but then I'm like, well, now that I think about it. You're thinking about it that way. Yes, it is irrelevant. It doesn't have anything to do with whether it's okay to post to his live action genitalia. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that we have a podcast where we're talking about live action <laughs> And where I got to say out loud, uh, do-rag on his penis. 
Dreams are coming true here, folks. <laughs> Keep dreaming, folks. <laughs> okay, so after the trial, Gawker Media filed a post-trial motion to throw out the jury verdict. They said key evidence was wrongly withheld and that the jury instructions on the constitutional standards for newsworthiness were improper. In another motion, Gawker argued that even if the verdict stands, the amount of damages should be reduced. So here's what their statement said. Mm -hmm. It said, We expect to be fully vindicated, and even if the verdict were to stand, there is no justification for awarding tens of millions of dollars never seen by victims of death and serious injuries. But, um, yeah, what do you think? I guess I could kind of see that, but... I think it's hard to put a monetary value on what they did to him. Yeah, I agree. And so, if that's what the jury thought he would, like, would make it slightly better, I don't know. Yeah. This is a lot of money, but they... Ugh, they did something pretty terrible, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't like it one bit. Yeah. Okay, so the judge denied both of those uh-huh. post-trial motions, though. Yeah. On June 10th, 2016, Gawker filed for bankruptcy. Mm. A few months later, so did Nick Denton, the founder mm. of Gawker. Yeah. Because he was supposed to pay how much? I think it was $10 million. $10 million, million yeah. And around that time, Univision Communications bought Gawker Media's assets, including those other six yeah. sister sites that had nothing to do with the Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan sex tape. Gawker shut down in late August 2016. Now, do you remember earlier I was talking about this kind of conspiracy theory that, you know, how could Hulk Hogan possibly afford all this? Yeah. Surely there's someone behind him. Yeah. And I thought, no, that, that can't be right. Turns out that was true. So somebody was puppet mastering <laughs> yes. behind the scenes. I'm sorry. At first, I had no idea what those hand gestures <laughs> were. puppets. Those puppet mastering <laughs> I'm pulling the strings, Kristen, of Hulk Hogan and little Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Gross. Oh, shit. I forgot to mention something. Good God. That November, pretend I didn't do that big review. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that that November, Gawker and Hulk Hogan reached a $31 million settlement. And in the settlement, Gawker agreed not to appeal. Wow. Yeah, so... Dunzo. 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 Finished. Okay. I'm glad that we both agreed at the same time. <laughs> the same time that it was Dunzo. Yes. <laughs> Can't just say done. No. <laughs> Back to this mystery billionaire. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here. <laughs> yes. The puppet master. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, this mystery is suspenseful. It's not because I'm disorganized. It's because I'm building suspense like a master podcaster. Master Master podcaster! This secret billionaire was Peter Thiel. He's the co-founder of PayPal. He was an early investor in Facebook. And he admitted to... Is it blue or green? I can't tell... That's right, folks. Bringing you that terrible comedy. No charge. You can use that in your daily life. Yep. Just enjoy it. Anyway. So, Peter Thiel, a super rich guy, admitted to the New York Times in, I think it was around May, 
that he had paid for a team of lawyers to go out and find victims of Gawker to see if he could pay for their lawsuits against them because he wanted to take them down. He wanted to bring them down. Yes. He didn't get super exact about how much he gave for Hulk Hogan's legal defense, but he said it was around $10 million that he paid. And... I can't remember the exact quote, but he basically said, this was one of the greater philanthropic things I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) So, you may be wondering, why did he do this? Yeah, what was his big beef with Gawker? Get ready. In 2007, Gawker ran an article outing Peter Thiel as gay. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So he's this huge venture, venture yeah. capitalist um, in Silicon yeah. Valley, and they outed him as gay. Well, that's a huge violation of his privacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, interestingly, Gawker people don't think that that's actually why he's mad at them. The Gawker people kind of feel like he was out of the closet. The real reason that he had this axe to grind with them was because they covered a failed project of his that lost a lot of money Mm. and they think that's why he was actually Mm. mad he didn't like the negative coverage either way i think it's shitty to out someone as gay absolutely so i you know (laughs) maybe gawker got what they had coming to him maybe maybe (laughs) it sounds like they pissed off the wrong guy Uh, no kidding no (laughs) but at the same time it's like that kind of scares me if you piss off the people with money, That's then right. you're screwed. Because I am currently plotting my plan to take down Noodles and Company, <laughs> as I talked to you about last week. Please tell the people about your plan. Noodles and Company. I've been, I have an active boycott going on yeah. with Noodles and Company because they got rid of my favorite item, the spicy chicken Caesar wrap. Which, when you told me, I got really pissed because I used to love the spicy <laughs> yes. chicken Caesar wrap. Um, so I guess I need to find somebody who something Noodles and Company did something <laughs> horrible to and fund their campaign to take them down. I wonder if we could build a movement to get yeah. it put back on the menu. I Damn mean, it. I tried to write on their... I, I mean, I did. I wrote on their Facebook page. <laughs> you tried, but you just couldn't yes. put the words I wrote on their. I wrote a strongly worded message on their Facebook page. Uh-huh. They offered me a free menu item off of their new world tour menu, oh, and shit. I declined. <laughs> it was delicious. It was really good. It was so just good. the right amount of spice. Yes. It was, oh. God. Okay, um, sorry to take this off of Noodles and Company, but... I could go on for days! <laughs> also, this is making me really hungry. Right. And we agreed to go out for chips and salsa. Yes. And I'm like, let's wrap this up. A little bit about Peter Thiel. First of all, he, he had this quote in the New York Times that I'm going to put in because I think it's kind of interesting. He said, I refuse to believe that journalism means massive privacy violations. I think much more highly of journalists than that. It's precisely because I respect journalists that I do not believe they are endangered by fighting back against Gawker. Mm. I think that's good. I thought it was a really good quote. Yeah. Because that's the other thing I struggle with is, you know, I... I there think, is. There's a line. Like, this is what's appropriate. Yeah. And that you have... Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> left over. Left over. You know, I don't want there to be a chilling effect on journalism, but at the same yeah. time, I'm thinking, 
dude, I was a two-bit reporter at a little paper. I would have never, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got to yeah. have more respect Absolutely. for people than that. Absolutely. Of course, I wasn't at a gossip site. I was <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I do want to throw in a little bit about Peter Thiel. He, they, they talked about him a lot in this documentary. Um, God, I, I'm nervous to say anything negative about him. <laughs> Um, Peter Thiel, we support you. We uh, really enjoy you, but we're going to share some counterpoints. Counterpoint (laughs) is, um, so he, this is from an article in The Guardian. um, The the opinions expressed here are (laughs) not the opinions of the host. Don't sue us. (laughs) So from an article in The Guardian, um, they're writing about this book that Peter Mm -hmm. Thiel wrote. He wrote that the definition of rape had been erroneously expanded to include seductions that are later regretted. He also suggested that the movement to combat rape on college campuses was motivated by animosity toward men. He's a big-time donor to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. He's I looked into his opinions on diversity, kind of definitely not my cup of tea. Um <laughs> And he's also co-founded the Seasteading Institute, which aims to create cities that float at sea beyond the reach of government. Waterworld is what <laughs> It's already been done. It's called Waterworld. Oh, yes. So, Kevin Costner beat you to it. Part of me is so conflicted about this because I don't like the idea of billionaires being able to step in Mm-mm. And kind of mess with the justice system. Yeah. And I don't know that it's really relevant that I think he's kind of a weirdo. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's I'm... hard to reconcile that. Like, mm, he's got these opinions and thoughts that maybe yeah. I don't agree with. But I do think that he has some things yeah, that I don't... he said that I do agree with. Yeah, but... I mean, I, I agree pretty much wholeheartedly with the Gawker quote. Yeah. I can see why being outed would make you think, you know what, now that I've got a ton of money, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take these people down. So I'm I'm also including this quote from Floyd Abrams, who's a First Amendment attorney, and he was featured in the documentary. Mm -hmm. He said, The reason to save Gawker is not because Gawker was worth saving. The reason to save it is we don't pick and choose what sort of publications are permissible. Once we do, it empowers the government to limit the speech in a way that would be impermissible. Man! I know, see, I hear that and I'm like, oh, I take everything back. Gosh. Yeah, because I totally could see that, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. You start, you know, shutting Mm -hmm. this down and then what's next? Exactly. And that's what makes me so nervous about this whole thing. Yeah. And I also firmly believe that if they had appealed that decision, mm-hmm. it would have been reversed. Really? I really do. I really think so. I think... Yeah, I think another court would have found what all the other courts did, mm-hmm. which was, this falls... This is newsworthy. It's protected by the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Do I agree with that? Personally, again, I'm I'm grossed out by the idea of sharing someone's sex tape. Yes. Without their permission. Yeah. Man... Okay, but what's the difference mm-hmm. between a celeb posting a celebrity sex tape on a news site uh-huh. and or posting your ex girlfriend's sex tape on Facebook? Yeah, where do you draw the line there? 
Hold on, say that again to me. Okay, so like a Hulk Hogan sex tape is leaked and posted mm-hmm. on Gawker. Mm-hmm. And that's ruled okay because it's newsworthy. Yeah. And then some guy breaks up with his girlfriend, or his girlfriend breaks up with him, mm-hmm. and he's pissed. And so he posts her sex, the sex tape that they made together all over social media. I think the argument could be made that she is not a public person. Okay. She didn't voluntarily thrust herself into the limelight. Right. What if her... She is a celebrity, uh-huh. and... Yeah, then I... Same situation, though. She has a jilted ex who posts mm-hmm. their sex tape everywhere after they break up. Mm-hmm. Is it then newsworthy and okay? No. I See, I don't think it's ever okay. Right. I, mean, that's I know! That's, that's, that's the true. problem! Yeah, I don't, think like, it's ever I don't okay. know! Although, let me give an exception. Okay. Because I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, like... When would I find it permissible? Yeah. And I don't think there would ever be a situation where I would think, yeah, you should post video. Mm-hmm. But let's say someone like Mike Pence, mm-hmm. who has been, you know, he's put out anti-gay policies. Yeah. He's very firmly anti-gay. Let's say he had a gay sex tape. Mm-hmm. Okay, that to me is newsworthy mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden whoa, we're learning a whole hell of a lot more about this guy who's mm-hmm. made all these policies. Mm-hmm. This this changes things. I don't think you need to see a video. Right. So I don't think you'd have to put it out there in a graphic way. Right. You could just write about it and maybe show a still image with stuff blurred. Yeah. I'm getting awfully <laughs> specific. But do you see what I'm what I Okay, answer me this. <laughs> what would be blurred, Kristen? His steely, beady eyes. <laughs> Just full penis on display, but his eyes are blurred. We don't want to see those things. (laughs) But do you, like, do you see what I mean? Like, I I kind of feel like that would be like if I, if I came out and was like, tall women are awful. They're all going to hell. They're, they're devious. You could at least see me as a tall person and be like, oh, honey. (laughs) You're just self-hating. You know, there's more to Uh, That's a rough one. In conclusion, I don't know how to feel about either Either one one of these cases today. No. There are so many questions on both of these cases. Yeah. Yeah. This is the episode that brings no conclusion. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad that you had no conclusion on yours. Because it's been bugging the shit out of me that I don't know how to feel. And I feel like an idiot because I'm thinking, if Hulk Hogan's lawyer came in here and a Gawker lawyer came in here, if one of them talked, I'd be like, that guy knows what he's talking about. If the other one talked, I'd be like, I'm with her. You know, it it would just totally depend on who spoke last. Absolutely. Man. Man. These were good ones. We're great at this. We are amazing. Um, (laughs) You know what's really gross about us? (laughs) So I've been learning how to, trying to learn how to edit audio. Yes. Turns out I do this fucking disgusting thing before I ever, I make a point, which is like, I'm always making little points here. Yeah. Apparently I do this. And you can see, I've got four <laughs> drinks here. I'm not parched. <laughs> We're not in a fucking desert, but I make that little... <laughs> and I think I, like, <sighs> no, incessantly no, no. the you know entire you time. Here's what you do, because I've been listening yeah. to this. You, when you're reading something... No! <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonder oh. I'm able to breathe it on. <laughs> I'm sucking, sucking all the air out of the room. <laughs> 
So that's um, how did we even get on this? That's just the gross know, thing that we the, did. Yeah, oh, because we gross were things we do. We were feeling really we great. Feeling really this great episode, about our so I had to take ourselves us down. and how good our episode was. That's right. We're gross. We're hilarious. We're experts. <laughs> Join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I usually copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from the documentary Nobody Speak, as well as articles from the New York Times and Politico. And this week, I literally watched the 48 Hours episode The Doctor's Daughter like 10 times and just retold it to you. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours. But please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. And in this case, watch that episode 48 hours. 